Welcome to Your Soul, a podcast in Soul Talk by Yaz. On this episode, you'll listen to Glenn's story of how he overcame agoraphobia and my story of starting to recover from it. We talked through some of the biggest struggles that come with panic, agoraphobic avoidance, and fear. I highly suggest this Soul Talk not only for you if you might be struggling with agoraphobia, anxiety, or panic, but I suggest if you have a loved one that might have it. That awareness and listening to the stories of others who have lived through it can be the key to you understanding yourself or your loved ones a bit better. So remember, if you are on this journey specifically with agoraphobia and panic disorder and are going through some of the hardest times of your healing journey, just know that there is always hope. And I hope that Glenn's story and my story will give you that hope that you are looking for. So I'm so glad that you're here, soul friend. I'm sending you so much healing on this journey. So let's get ready for this soul talk. It's just the power of sharing your story and what that can do. And your accounts is one of the accounts that really motivated me to start creating my content and being like, you know what, there's no shame in having struggled with panic disorder and agoraphobia because if we share our story, we're only showing other people that we can overcome it and that we're going to get there. And for me, I was like, but I'm not like at the finish line. Yeah, I mean, there's no finish line, right? We're always learning and we're always growing. But for me, I was like, I'm still in a really tough place. Like I can still only walk to the corner of my house, you know, to the corner of the street. Like, should I really be like kind of like saying, you know, that I'm going to get through this kind of a thing? Like I had those thoughts, but I was like, no, because I'm going to share the journey as I'm in the middle of really working through it. You know, I'm going to show me going to the corner 50, 60 times, which is what I've had to go hundreds of times before I was able to even go further. You know, so I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to make it a point to share my journey as I go through it. And yeah, I just wanted to tell you that you are one of the people who definitely motivated me to start everything, honestly. So I just wanted to give you a big thank you, too. <laughs> thank you, Yasmin. And, you know, even to hear those words, like, again, for me to suffer with for 10 years, like I never thought I'd be on the opposite end of phone of like calls like this and podcasts talking about my journey. I was so broken, like, as you said, like about going to the corner. That's where it started for me. And I ended up on a plane a couple months later. So uh, you, you can't overcome agoraphobia by just, hey, I'm gonna jump on a plane and face my career. Can you do that? Absolutely, but you'll be just crippled with panic and anxiety and it'll, just, it'll burn you out. Nothing will happen to you. You won't die, lose your mind, go crazy. You can do it, but it's not the correct way for permanent uh, results. So for you to get off that couch and walk around the corner, hundreds of times that is how to do it and then you just progressively get better because eventually you'll be sick of that same place you'll realize that every time i go i'm having the same feelings i'm having the same thoughts and i just can't expand this area and then you get almost peed off at yourself and say i'm going a bit further today and that's what happened to me i when i finally started to go into those small places like i started if i leave my house and i walk literally 20 seconds i'll be at a little park it's not a big park but i used to just walk around that with my dog every day every day and i felt so trapped it was like i couldn't leave that park Mm -hmm. and that just breaks the human spirit it'll break anyone's spirit no wonder we then you know we're because we feel like there's no ways out of it you know we feel like because we've been struggling for x amount of years or months 
it makes us feel quite trapped. And that's why it's very important to the reason why I set up my account was like, this isn't about me. This is about my story and how it can impact people that I can get from here to here. And we had someone on last night. I don't know if you listened to Sophie from the UK. Mm -hmm. What a nice girl. She was literally in our house, bed bound. Not just in our house, bed bound. Wouldn't even go to the bathroom for mm -hmm. two years. And now she's back on planes. And people who are struggling like that continuously hear these type of stories. Like, oh, this is really bad as well. Like, extremely bad for so many years. Mm. And I I can't believe where I am today. You know, so I'm just very privileged. There's not a day I don't take for granted, you know, to just wake up and have that calm nervous system having a cup of tea. Like, I've had around 50 playing journeys now. And I'm being honest, I've probably cried with high emotion and happiness on around five to 10 of them. Just like looking out the window, like, I'm not even fearful. And, you know, a lot of this recovery is down to a real mindset shift. It's down to a real mindset shift and some very much like your logic, like really all these thoughts and sensations that we've been having for years have stopped us from living. We fear the heart attack from panic. We fear the stroke. We fear going far from home is something we're going to lose in mind. We've got all of these things or whatever the conjured up fear is. We've feared that. I'll take my story. For 10 years, I've feared these things that if I go far from home, I'll be unable to cope. I'll collapse and have a heart attack because I'm not near medical help. And I, it took me 10 years of hell to finally say, I'm done with this. And I don't even care if that happens to me anymore. If I'm, if, if I'm out and I'm facing this and something happens, okay. At least I went out a hero and I went out brave. And it was that mentality. But that mentality forced the logic that I was going and pushing myself and like realistically every single day for 10 years a full decade I've had thoughts of fainting collapsing going crazy all these things happening to me not once in 10 years did I even come 1% close to any of that stuff happening to me never collapsed never fainted never even puked in 10 years and that fear held me prisoner for 10 years and I was I was done with it Yasmin I was done with it I had to hit my lowest point it was it was horrible I started to have the worst intrusive thoughts I've ever had DPDR come back mm -hmm. and it was like this just my soul was just trying to break free of like Glenn you have to do this and that was the mentality I went with Yasmin I went with, with the mentality of I really don't care and it wasn't the mentality, it was a total, I really did not care if I died from a panic attack. Mm -hmm. There was nothing worse than even spending another couple of months like that after 10 years living like that. There was nothing worse. I was going to get panic attacks anyway, so why not, why not go forward and test what's on the other side? And like you said, the way you're doing it right now is correct. You're not jumping in cars and going on buses doing all that at the start, you're building up small pieces of confidence that were ripped away from you for so many years. Mm -hmm. You have to build that back up. And all you gotta do is keep doing the simple things, Jasmine. And, you know, even things like, you probably can't even pitch yourself now on a plane or going to a different country because your mindset is totally defeated right now, okay? I couldn't do that either. And it's like, 
when I was going to therapy and stuff like that, I used to get asked questions from therapists like, like, what are your goals? And I was like, my goal is to have a little job again and just be able to go to a coffee shop with friends. Mm-hmm. I didn't say I want to go to Barbados and sit on a beach with a cocktail. I didn't say I want to be a millionaire. My goals in life was to get in a car with my mom, with the dog, and go to a, a place 40 minutes from Dublin that is like, the scenery is absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted. I wanted to sit at a coffee shop alone on my laptop, doing some work, getting my first full-time job in like eight to nine years. That's what I wanted. I didn't care about holidays. I didn't care about playing. But when I started to recover, you slowly start to say, other things are possible here. You know, and it was just such a crazy journey, Asmund. Like, we've talked now for a couple of minutes, and I'm not even at the tip of an iceberg of the stuff we can talk about on this podcast. Um, my first panic attack came at age 18, and literally lasted like that. I had a fo- my first panic attack on holiday in Lanzarote, if you heard of that place. Where and is like, that, um, actually? It's, it's actually, I used to think it was Spain, but it's like a little island off. I'm not sure exactly where it is, but it's like maybe four hours on a plane from Dublin. Okay. I had my first panic attack there at age 18, and I never had a panic attack before. Mm-hmm. And literally, I went home to Dublin literally a day later. I was supposed to stay for two weeks, and I was like, I'm not staying. Like, the DPDR was always like, I had a girlfriend at the time, my ex, ex-girlfriend, and I was like, I'm like, I'm going home. Like, I'm not staying here. There's something not right. Mm-hmm. And I went home and went to the doctors and was put on antidepressant tablets and with no explanation of what a panic attack was, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I was just left on an antidepressant tablet and just my life changed. I was I was in college trying to be a fireman, a paramedic. Mm-hmm. My first year, I had a part-time job. I was an exceptional footballer at the time. I was playing football. Everything. And within a week, all that was gone. As soon as I went back to Dublin, I couldn't commute 40 minutes to go back to college, so I quit college. I broke up with my girlfriend at the time. I quit my part-time job. My whole life just fell apart. And all I started was, my new job was Googling, reading anxiety books, and just, my life just shrunk smaller and smaller as the years went on to then full-on agoraphobia for around the last four years. So the last four years of my 10-year disorder, I literally didn't leave a two-minute, two-mile radius mm-hmm. for four years. I was almost out every day. I didn't have house where I'm like, probably, I would spend weeks in my house um, or days and just relax and just get respite from this crap because it's exhausting. But yeah, the last four years, Yasmin, I basically lived like a hermit for in, in a two-mile radius in Dublin. I hope that whatever we do can motivate someone that's also on their healing journey, specifically from agoraphobia and panic disorder, because I think that you don't understand how terrifying it is to be so deathly afraid of your own body and panic attacks and all of these things unless you've really gone through it you know unless you've been there and for me when i started creating my content and realizing that there was other people that were struggling with this it was what made all of the difference because when i first started struggling with agoraphobia and my panic disorder was getting out of control i didn't even know 
that something like agoraphobia existed. I didn't know what was happening to me. Like you said, similar thing. First panic attack, I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was dying. You know, I thought it was the worst thing that could ever possibly happen. And I didn't even know what it was, honestly. And then I actually, similar to you, had been already suffering with panic disorder or panic for probably like since I was 17 too, around the same time. And I had already had like different situations where I had had panic attacks, right? And it was scary and it was hard and I always had anxiety, but I never knew that it could get to agoraphobia, if that makes sense. You know, and I always say like, no one told me that this existed or no one told me that if I didn't treat or understand or recover from my from my panic disorder that I was developing, that this could happen, you know? And then I similarly went to doctors. They tried giving me something. It didn't work. It made it worse. And I just kind of like gave up and actually left the country, right? I went back to Colombia, which is where I'm from. And I actually had a fear before I went that what if I go to Colombia and like I feel the same way and I get worse, but I actually got there and the opposite happened, right? It completely went away. It disappeared. Everything disappeared. And for me, that was part of why I think I decided to stay. I was only supposed to be there for six weeks, but then I decided to stay for two years, right? <laughs> and then I lived my life and I didn't care if anything happened to me. I was doing whatever I wanted every single day. I was out of my house from seven in the morning until 11 p.m. I was working two jobs. Like it was this thing where, and I was even working with um, kids that were under adoption and protection services. And that's like my passion, right? So I was even making a difference in the world every single day working with these kids. And two days before I was supposed to come back home to the U.S., I had a panic attack. I was holding a little girl in my lap in, a, in an orphanage. And I just remember sitting there and it hit me. And the first thing I thought in my head was, here we go again, right? Because I knew that it was my body basically saying, you're going back home and it's now time to face what you avoided when you came here, if that makes sense. Because I had left and enjoyed that comfort of being released from anxiety, right? But as soon as I knew I was coming back, I knew that it was time, you know? And a lot of people ask me, why did you come back if you were having such a good time? And I was like, because I was running away from everything, you know? I was running away from my traumas, from my fears, from what everything that was going on. And I didn't realize that in my body even told me that a day before I came back, you know? And then I was fine for a while. And then I came back, I moved back and then slowly started getting worse, started getting worse, panic attacks on the train again. My world started getting smaller and smaller, but I was still going out. And then the pandemic happened and it was like, oh, so now the world isn't safe anymore, you know? So then it fully got into the agoraphobia of slowly avoiding places because I was starting to panic every single time in the car, by myself. And then like you kind of you like you were, you're explaining is that I got to the point to where going further than a few steps away from my house was too much. There was times where I would cry like halfway down the street because I just couldn't do it because I was so terrified of collapsing, of having that loss of reality, DP DPDR, all of those things. And it's just so true what you're saying. It's like the amount of times that it's actually happened, you know, maybe a few, maybe not, you know, <laughs> and it's just so complex again, because unless you've experienced it, I think it's really difficult for some people to understand. And for me, what was a turning point was probably the most painful moment 
I had already been like on my recovery journey over the past couple of months, you know, here and there I was getting successes here and there. I was starting to venture out again and, you know, really start developing the right mindset. And like you said, I was reading the books. I was trying to do everything I could, but it it wasn't working because I still wasn't doing any actions, you know. And for me, I don't know if you've heard of the D.A.R.E. response. Have you heard of it? Yeah, 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 so, yeah exactly. So the D.A.R.E. response gave me success for a few months. Then I had a really bad panic attack driving a few minutes from my house as I was doing exposure therapy. And I went downhill. Like I, I didn't take the step back at the time as a sign that I was recovering. I wasn't at that point yet, if that makes sense. And then Dare was working and then it wasn't again. And it wasn't until I got to a really dark place, which was like the hardest time when it was my birthday and my family was expecting that I was gonna make it to my childhood home in Chicago, which is an hour and 15 minutes away from here in the car, right? And they were wanting to throw me a birthday party and just like eat together as a family. And I just remember crying from the moment I woke up on my birthday. And my birthday used to be something that I really look forward to, you know, and people know me like I love people. I don't have social anxiety. You know, I love my family. I love spending time with people, you know, but I just remember crying. And, you know, my mom, I mean, I love her to pieces and I understand it was coming from a place of frustration, but my parents had said because they were upset and they were hurt. And that's something that I would also like to talk about. It's like the way that our relationships in our lives um, can kind of like, you know, it gets affected, you know, and that's a, a, a back and forth, you know, we can talk about that. But they had said to me that, again, from frustration, I don't want anyone to be like angry that a parent would say this. I think it's from their own frustration. We need to understand and love that they're also going through our disorder and our agoraphobia too you know but yeah they had said if you don't love your family enough to face this fear and when i heard that i just started full on into like a worse panic and it still gets me emotional because like i said i was like i love my family to death but this is how bad this has gotten you know i had my partner upset with me my family was upset with me but it was because they wanted to celebrate me and I still wasn't there. I, I, I literally was like, I don't even know how to get in the car and go an hour away. I haven't gone in the car for month, for, for weeks, for months, you know, even to go to Starbucks a few minutes away. How am I supposed to just say go? You know, I, I couldn't see it. I wasn't there. And then I just remember crying all day on my birthday. And then the next day or the next weekend, my parents came over. We celebrated how we could here at the house. You know, again, they love me. That's not the issue. And I love them. But they were frustrated at the time. You know, it caused a lot of friction. But it's from their own love because they wanted to celebrate me and I wasn't there, you know. But then they brought some of the gifts that they had, you know, given me. And then that weekend I was at home and I opened them by myself and I just started crying. And I was like, I don't want to spend not one more special occasion not one more birthday this in a rock bottom place crying alone i have a family that loves me i have a partner that loves me i have friends that love me i have such a beautiful life to live and i'm not going to continue to let agoraphobia to take it from me you know i can't i just can't do it anymore and that was the low point where i was literally i was opening my gifts and i was crying i was just crying 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 and then i decided i'm gonna sing myself happy birthday I took a cupcake from one of my, I think it was my partner's little sister's birthday. We saw cupcakes, right? I took a cupcake, I went outside, 
I went to the ha- we have a hammock in the backyard, right? In the middle of the night <laughs> after I opened the presents and I put a candle on it and I sang myself happy birthday crying because I didn't get that. And I was just like, this is your moment. You need to change. And yeah, I just get so emotional because it's like, if you've been here, you, you know that when you have that moment with yourself and it is just rock bottom that you just have to change as scary as it is. Like you said, you need to literally tell yourself and be like, nothing can be possibly worse than living this hell every single day, you know? And I would like, you know, if you could explain also for the viewers and stuff, maybe that don't know what agoraphobia is, what it is and what panic disorder is. Um, and maybe if you can start getting into um, your recovery journey, you know, maybe we can start there as well. Yeah, and that was amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And when you said that, do you know that that moment you had was identical to what I had? Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It wasn't my birthday. It was my. It was a Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. And everyone was going out. All my family around toward the office. And even to that day, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely gone, definitely gone. But this was a 20-minute car journey. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do it. I was the only one at home and I didn't show up and my little brothers that didn't understand what I was going through were like, like, what are you doing? Like, it's man today, you're not even coming and they just didn't understand that I was at home in floods of tears and that was the day where I decided to put on my runners. Mm-hmm. I remember I told you that I was afraid to go out of that park. Mm-hmm. I ran with my hood up, with tears coming down my eyes, snots coming down my nose. I ran further than I've been in years. Mm-hmm. I didn't care. I totally gave in. I said, I'm not living mm-hmm. like this anymore. And I jogged. And jogging is like, for someone who has panic disorder, you're scared, mm-hmm. you're hurried to go away. Yeah. I didn't care. I didn't give a shit anymore. But it's very identical to the experience you had. That like, one moment you're like, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. But basically, you know, We'll get into agoraphobia just to simplify it. Agoraphobia is basically part of an anxiety disorder and it's when the, the panic attacks are just, they've limited your life so much that you start to avoid everywhere. Like you start to have panic attacks. Basically it's a, a crippling form of, of avoidance because you're just so afraid of panic. You're afraid of the sensations and the thoughts of panicking in places where you can't, where you're away from your own safe zones or you know, I was I was afraid to like go far from home. Like house, my house was my safe zone. So the further I went from home, the worse my panic would get. So I just eventually just started to give in to those fears and start just to live in life around my my local area. So that's literally what agoraphobia is. It's literally the fear of panic, and the fear of panic then just basically, you know, shuts down your whole life. It, it, it cripples you into a point of being housebound and not getting into cars for years and buses and trains and planes and that's how bad panic attacks can get for people panic attacks are, are very extreme they can never cause you any harm whatsoever but just going through them is just a, a scary experience you literally think you're on the verge of death you know literally thinking like i've been in emergency rooms many times called ambulances to my house stuff like that and all that type of stuff like nothing will ever happen to you you'll never have a heart attack from it You'll never lose your mind because of it. But it feels so real. It feels so damn real. And, you know, getting into getting into my... So that's basically what agoraphobia is. It's just the fear of panic attacks. And the fear of panic attacks then limit your life so much that you, you start to avoid everything. So basically, Yasmin, I recovered when I was 
28 years old. Um, what happened was I started to um, get to a point where I'm, I'm just broken. I'm just totally broken. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I hit my lowest point where I literally lost so much weight. Um, my head looked too big for my body, and I have a tiny head. So that's how like skinny I look. So um, I just decided one day that I'm going to tackle this, and I literally started jogging because I knew, okay, if I jog, I can probably rid my fear of panic quicker. Because mm -hmm. if I'm walking, it'll take me a while to kind of go into a panic attack. But if I run and sprint straight away, my heart rate's up right away. So I literally had this effort mentality. I like, I don't care. I'm going to run and prove to myself that I have a healthy heart. My legs aren't going to collapse. So that park that I told you about, that's if I leave my house, you can walk 20 to 30 seconds and you're in a little park. I used to jog around that. I jogged around that to get used to the physical sensations of panic. My agoraphobia was still highly, highly, it was, I was still totally agoraphobic. I couldn't run out of that park. That's how bad it was. So each time I was getting a little bit more confident of doing these runs and I do more laps and more laps and more laps and it wasn't easy. Like sometimes I'd, I'd run home, I'd, I'd fail at it like, ma, ma, I'm, I'm panicking, I'm panicking and from this jog and I couldn't calm down. Like, am I doing the right thing here? And I was like, back out again the next day. No, not lying in bed. Get the fuck up. I'm sorry for coursing. No, you're no, good. I'm not feeling sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. And I'd always like say, oh, but I need to rest. What would I need rest for? I've done nothing for 10 years. I need to get my ass in gear and get my life back. I can rest after that. I've rested for 10 years. I don't need any rest. You know, it, it's a mental exhaustion, mm -hmm. not a natural physical exhaustion. So mm -hmm. I need to physically bore myself out. Yeah, sorry, I'm just I'm just laughing because it, it's it, like you said, like I feel I was literally living through the same thing where when I was started like getting into the place where I was like, you know, I'm going to start living again. Right. There was times where I was succeeding, get to Starbucks and my partner was right. He was like, but then for two weeks, you don't want to go out because then you're afraid that your success wasn't real or then you don't want to challenge yourself because you, you know, you're tired. And it's like I would say the same thing. And I was like, wait, but really what am i resting from you know exactly exactly you know i used to say it was like what it wasn't actually me that pinpointed out i actually had a friend down the road to me who used to come on jogs with me and he's a guy that he would always tell me jog and help me like it was born your dress it's very scientific about and we i'd go on jogs with him and one day i remember him coming home from work and he was like what are you doing i was like i'm just going on jogs like like i said i'm going to commit to them he's like is this where you're all this month you've been just jogging around here? Like, I was like, yeah. It's like, Glenn, he was so blunt. Like, I never had any, I was so used to people with their arm around my shoulder. Like, it's okay, you're doing great. Good on your little jog around here. He was blunt to the point. It's like, this isn't good enough. You need to be running into your fears. You need to be running down to the coast, to the seaside. What the fuck? I haven't seen those places in years. And he was the person who said, 8 a.m. tomorrow. I'll come with you. For many times, many nights, I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I continue on that little, small, little run that was great at the start, but I outgrew it. Mm -hmm. And then one day I just said, Sean, I'm ready to do this run with you. He said, he said, it's a five kilometer run. Now I haven't been further than two kilometers from my house in like four or five years. So now I'm going to jog five kilometers. Holy shit. And I went on that run with him 
and all the thoughts in my head, I was like, Sean, I literally feel like I'm gonna, I need to run into someone's house, bang down their door and tell them to drop me home in the car. And Sean said, ride the wave. He said, think about it. Look back there. He said, that's your past. We just need to keep running. And then I got close to the traffic light and I hit a point five kilometers from home. I jogged it. And I just, I actually celebrated. It was 8 a.m. in the morning where cars were going to work. I celebrated like I was Mo Farah, just winning the Olympics. Like I had my arms spread open like a board and I was screaming, yes, yes. Just for jogging five kilometers because I haven't been away from home like that for many, many, many years. And that lit a spark in me, Yasmin. Was I cured? No. Was I even 1% cured? Probably just 1%. But I still had so much work to do. I was still terrified. I didn't want to do it alone. I felt like I'd only do it with Sean. I was so terrified to do it again. But I kept going and I kept going. And now my radius was no longer 1K, it was 5K. And I got used to that 5K time and time again, time and time again. And all this time I, I wasn't on one bus, no train, no car journey. It was just walking and running, walking and running, walking and running, getting used to the symptoms of panic, getting used to being five kilometers from home and thinking I'm dying and making it home again. It wasn't as if my panic lifted in any way, shape or form. I was still panicking every day, but it, something was something was happening. I could feel it. Then what happened was I got better at the jogging. I got fitter. I got braver. And what I started to do then was I'd start to go seven or eight kilometers, almost moving up to 10. When I hit a 10 kilometer radius, I was so burnt out. My adrenaline was burnt out. I was having panic attacks on these jogs. And then I decided, I'm going to take a train home. Let's go on a train again for the first time in years. Got on the train, got on the bus home. So I jog five, 10 kilometers from home. And then I jump on a public transport home. And I was breaking the cycle. Mm -hmm. Was I even recovered then? No. Was I on my way? Absolutely. One day, around three and a half months or four months into my recovery journey. Now I'm talking about, I wasn't, when I say four month recovery journey, let's say there's 30 days in a month. I was active at least in the very high 20s, like 27 days in, in, within the month. I'd really take days off because I was serious about recovery as well. That's how my recovery kind of approached. And then I got to a point where I said to my mom one day, I said, mom, you know what? I've got this new watch. I never calculated how much I can even run. I feel great today. I'm going to run until my legs fall off. And Yasmin, I ran. This was in my fourth month now, so I was really quite fit and my, getting my confidence back and stuff like that. I ran 30 kilometers, almost a full marathon, up to oh a God. mountain in Dublin. Mm -hmm. And I called my mom on WhatsApp and said, Mom, you're not going to believe where I am. She was like, where? I said, uh, there's a place, a place in Dublin called Hout. It's up in a big, it's a beautiful place. And mm -hmm. there's a big mountain up at the end of it. I said, Mom, I'm up on Hout Mountain. And I had her on, on a WhatsApp video messenger and I was showing her around. She said, mm -hmm. that's incredible. And I felt recovered. Mm -hmm. I felt, I am, I'm 30 kilos. I ran jogging where four months ago I was afraid to jog. I was jogging around a little park. That's half a kilometer, terrified of heart attacks. And now here I am, 30 kilometers from home. Ain't nothing wrong with my heart. There never was. And I jogged home that day and 
I looked at my watch and I was like, I cannot believe I ran 30 kilometers. Now, it was a long time. I walked a lot of it. But um, randomly, I just Googled walking home. I, was, I had around 20 minutes to walk home. I was like, I'm not running anymore. I'm kind of tired. Mm-hmm. So I decided to walk home and soak in what I just done. I was walking along and I just randomly Googled what's I did. I hadn't, I was only new to jogging. I didn't know how, I didn't have any like what, what, how many kilometers this was and how many miles and what a marathon was. I just Googled what did I run a marathon? Like, what is a marathon? A marathon is 42 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I basically Googled marathon and i seen that the double marathon was coming up in three weeks time and i said i'm doing that i went wow. home to my mom said mom i jogged 40 kilometers and i'm doing the marathon it's on in three weeks my mom was like brilliant well i didn't choose the marathon i chose the half marathon so it was 25 kilometers I'm like i'm deaf i just ran 40 i'm capable of doing 25 let's keep on track of this run so i just start you know recovery was just like literally when you think about it I lost all fear of these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Why? Because I action. I went into panic so much, and I was jogging through this. He hasn't jogging through a panic attack. That's one of the worst fears for people. Yeah, even yeah. That's why I'm saying like right. And again, we're all at different spots. But for me, I'm just like when I'm walking, right, and I get to like that furthest point, and I start panicking, and my heart rate is already going up. You always think about like if I was running, you're right, you hit it sooner. You know, you do hit it sooner versus okay, I've already walked for twenty minutes. You know, now it's I'm starting to feel it, you know. But I yeah, I totally get it. That's it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Ten seconds like jumping jacks will get that up. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember I went and I done that doing mark. It was the best day of my life. Well, it, it led to the best day of my life. It wasn't the best day of my life yet. It was a big step down. I remember finishing that marathon. My uncle dropped me in. I was like, I don't want anyone to be there when I'm doing it. I just want to be dropped in. This is between me. Like, my family knew this isn't a marathon. This is Glenn getting his whole entire life back. Yeah. My family knew how crippled I was. Some of them shed tears from me. They loved me so much. Wanted me to just have a, a normal job and a normal relationship. And just to think that they felt I deserved it. I knew I deserved it too. So I said, listen, I'd probably be around three hours jogging this. So meet me at the finish line if you want. And I remember getting to the finish line, my mom was there, my auntie, her little kids, my little cousins. It was just the best feeling ever. So on my way home in the car that day, I this is what led me to moving to Paris. So I had a girlfriend in Paris who I never met before. Never met her. We stayed in contact for four years. Wow. Four whole years we stayed in contact for. She was with me through all this. She sent me little gifts and all, like, I believe in you, birthday cards, stuff like that. And I was like, it was always my goal to meet her one day or she comes to Ireland to meet me. After I jogged that, I literally went online. I was I was in the car coming home. My legs were like, it's like running the marathon for the first time, a half marathon. I booked my tickets to Paris. And I sent her a, a screenshot and said, I'm coming to Paris. Definitely, it was you versus you, you finally buying that plane ticket and going to go visit her. And I think that's so beautiful too, like, wow, wow. Yeah, go ahead, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I remember just getting on that plane and sitting on it. I was anxious, you know, I'm not going to lie, I was anxious. I felt nervous, but I was like, I prepared so much for this. And again, I went with the mentality, I don't give a shit if I die in this plane. I'm doing it. It's done. It's I'm on the plane. 
And it was, I couldn't believe when I landed. Like, was that it? That was such a short flight. And then I, I got off the plane and I then I finally got to hug and meet the girl that I'd been in contact with for four years. And getting off in, in Paris, within 40 minutes, I was at the Eiffel Tower and um, sending my mom and my family in the group chat pictures of me at the Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Incredible. And that was and that was five months of work, yes. Yeah. Ten years of disorder. Overcame in five months. Mm-hmm. That neuroplastic this brain is, that's how much of we really, really put in so in the work. Doesn't matter if you had it for ten years, twenty years, thirty years. The brain is so neuroplastic and you are absolutely total, totally capable of change. I'm not I'm not there's nothing different about me. Mm-hmm. Are you? It's the same. It's the same process. The fight or flight response in every human being. I was. It was just time for me. I was just done. Yeah. And just to like highlight that, because I know that this is a big part, at least of my recovery, and I'm sure yours. No one was able to do that for me. Get me to that point of saying I'm done. You know, my family, my friends, my partner, everyone's supporting me, honestly. And I know that's. And even then, I know I'm blessed to even say that. Um, as you and I are, because I know that that's not the case for a lot of people, you know, so I just want to have, have space for that too. I know that's not everyone's reality, right? But for myself, no amount of people in my face saying, let's go together even, was enough for me. I, I, I wasn't even there yet, you know, no amount of saying, I'm going to walk you through this panic attack. My mom even telling me like, if you have a panic attack, you have it. Like, that's it. I'm here to support you. What can we do for you? And I didn't even know. I didn't even know what what could be done for me. It had nothing to do with anyone around me. You know, it was myself. I was panicking around the people that I love most in my life. So it had nothing to do with them. You know, it had everything to do with my own fear of my own nervous system, of my fight or flight response of panic. And it was only when I decided that I was going to face it, that I decided that no more was it that I started bit by bit recovering, you know, and it was just that thing where it was like, I didn't realize that, yeah, I just wasn't really there yet, you know? So uh, yeah, that's like a, definitely a big part of it too. But for example, what tips would you have for someone who's listening to this that is feeling like they're getting maybe close to that, you know, (laughs) fuck it point? Cause it's true. That's literally what it is. It is you saying, you know what? I don't care anymore. I'm going to face panic and it's going to be terrifying, but I'm going to face it and I'm going to be fine. You know, and it's get, it's developing that mentality of saying like the dare response, which is, yeah, what is what really helped me and what I still use, honestly, um, is saying, so what if I collapse? So what if I faint? So what? I'll wake up, you know, having that mentality of saying, go ahead. I can't do this anymore. It's worth it, you know. But yeah, what tips would you have for someone that's just starting their journey? I'd suggest always start slow. Mm-hmm. I would suggest create a routine routine is key no matter how small it is i I suggest waking up at a certain time you know even if someone i suggest you know we're not functioning if we don't have good food in our body eat anything eat a banana and yogurt and some some rice or something nutritional foods you know small things like that try get your sleep back intact and then with that type of thing in your life that small little disciplines that's just three things slowly start building an agoraphobia if you haven't been in your car in 10 years get in your car drive to the end of the block and just come back and park it and that's enough and do that and do that and do that and do that always start small and you you 
starts so small that you get bored of where you're actually starting. And that's all, you don't have to go miles from home to recover from this. Mm -hmm. Everyone starts off slowly, smallly, but the best thing, the best advice is to, you have to be willing to just let this kill you. That's the mentality. Because mm -hmm. if we're going to, there's not one reported yeah. case in the history of anyone ever dying of a panic attack. You're living life stuck in panic of something that can't even happen. Think about that. As awful as that sounds, that's what it is. It's as simple as that. And, you know, the brain is so neuroplastic that if you just continuously go into that and if you continuously break down those patterns of behavior and avoidance, you will get well again. I would give advice as well as try your best to stay clear of having a great recovery day mm -hmm. and thinking you need a rest. And I'd also say, stay clear of having a bad recovery day and then staying at home for four or five days. Because mm -hmm. that's repeating the cycle. Having a bad day, great. Now you know where you are. Now you know how, where, you, where to start, where to break down. You know, start going to have the horrible panic and then just go home. Do it again, go home. Do it again, go home. Get so bored with it so pissed off with it they're like I'm capable of more nothing has happened I've been doing this for three four weeks now I've been coming home I've been training I've been doing this I've been doing that nothing's happened to me let's step it up a little bit do that for the same amount of time next of all in three months time for someone who was housebound you're comfortable being 10 kilometers from home wouldn't you have taken that I would have I would have bit someone's hand off for that Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it just grows, you know, you just it just expands from there. That's the voice I have for people. Yeah, and I love that because it's like as an example, even that happened to me last week, right? I've been walking further and further and further, right? There was a there was a period last week where I spent three days on my walk, like panicking, right? Like full on, like oh, I can't breathe, you know. I <laughs> I'm starting to look around, like oh, you know, like really, all the intrusive thoughts were coming. But I just kept telling myself, if I go home, I'm going to feel the same way. If I go home, all I'm going to do is continue to perpetuate the same thoughts that are keeping me in the cycle. Right. So I, I kept on walking and I was like, I'm going to make it to my goal. You know, at least I'm going to make it to my goal. No more just the two blocks. No, I know my goal is always like at least um, to like this little cul-de-sac that's like six or seven or eight blocks away. Right. So I was like, I'm still going to make it. I'm still going to make it. And I'm going to feel how I feel and keep going anyway. Right. So I did that three days in a row. I was really struggling and I was starting to have even just those thoughts of like, oh, like, why am I struggling again? Right. But I was like, no, I'm going to keep walking. And then on that fourth day of that week was when I recorded the video I posted yesterday of me saying, you know what, I'm going to actually go the extra mile, not for just for myself today, but for everyone that is in their bed right now that can't possibly imagine that they'd be going for a walk even 30 minutes away from their house. You know, because I was already at the 30 minute mark and I was starting to feel like I want to go home. But I was like, you know what, for today, I'm going to push myself for you, for whoever is even listening that is in the worst part of their agoraphobia. There's someone out here running an extra <laughs> or walking an extra couple laps for you, you know. And the funniest thing was, was that I was already panicking at that point because I was already at like my I would say that like that garden that I take videos and photos at is like my success, like my cute little like I made it. That's 30 minutes, you know. And so I was walking around there. I did the video and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit in my discomfort. I'm going to feel what I feel and continue to tell my physical sensations that they can do whatever they want. 
but I'm, I've walked today. I've succeeded today and I'm not running home. I'm not, you know, telling myself that I need to be on alert. I'm continuing my day. I ended up walking further than I ever have. And then on my way back, I looked down this area of the neighborhood where I don't know how to explain it. So basically, if you go to the left, it's a different way. I always go straight to go to this little garden, right? And if I choose to go left at this little branch, that cul-de-sac area, it's pretty big. It's like a row of houses and it goes in a big circle. So months, six, seven months ago, when I had that really bad panic attack in the car that really sent me down a big setback was through that cul-de-sac. I, I was driving through that cul-de-sac and I was panicking and I was resisting it, right? I was resisting, I was avoiding it. I was, you know, holding on for dear life and it threw me into, into a, like a full bad panic attack, right? And then that, that even passing that spot in my neighborhood I, I avoided for like four months, you know, I literally avoided it just even passing by there. And that day that I recorded that video that I walked extra in honor of everyone else. And I remembered that why I'm doing this also, I looked down that path and my first thought was walk, go through it. And I caught myself say, oh, but maybe not today. And I was like, no, my body literally told me today is the day that I walk through here and I own it. If I walk through here and I have a panic attack, I don't care anymore. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So then I went, I was walking through it. Of course it wasn't great. It wasn't uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable. But as I was walking through it, I actually got more peaceful. I actually felt better. And I walked through it. I walked through the same point where I had the really bad panic attack. And once I got through it, I had a similar thing where I was like, yes, like I did it. I walked through that area. I ended up walking for like an hour and something. I was out of my house for an hour and a half by myself walking um, with my dog and enjoying the neighborhood. And I remember thinking to myself, if I would have given up three days ago when I was having hard walks, having a hard time, I wouldn't have gotten to today. So every time you have a bad day or have a bad exposure, or have a bad run or a walk, you're basically one step closer to that aha moment or that win that you've been like searching. But if you give up on yourself, you don't know that you're gonna get there. If I would have given up even the day before, I wouldn't have gotten there, you know? So it's like, it's key what you said. It's like, you can't let yourself rest from once you set foot on that recovery journey, because what if what you were looking for was three days into your panic, you know? And that's what it is. It's when you start recovery, you're gonna panic a lot. You're gonna have so much anxiety. And you're gonna have it for probably a long time on those walks. Mm -hmm. But eventually, the brain and the nervous system will just find some balance and, and rationalization. Like, yeah. we're, we're okay here. Mm -hmm. And then you'll start to do those walks with no anxiety. Mm -hmm. But then when you go further again, you'll have oh. the anxiety again. And yep. then you'll beat that again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's where the confidence comes from. Then you'll be mm -hmm. able to go like, expand so much and you don't have anxiety. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it's I, I really feel like it's only one through doing it. You know, you can read the books as much as you want. You can listen to everything as much as you want. But really for yourself, you're only going to get there until you say it's me versus me. And that's it. And I'm winning my life back no matter what I have to do. Even if I have to crawl, even if you can't walk, honestly, you know, it's just getting to that point. Because, I mean, I've read a, a lot of books about anxiety. I've read... I've learned, I've listened to Dare, read Dare a million, 
and thousand times i still use it uh, for me it works but it's just like it wasn't until i started doing it that it started getting better you know everyone will only get you back the books won't get you back because mm-hmm. it's it turns into a behavior condition exactly you know the behaviors they have to rewire mm-hmm. but the, the books are key like education is the key mm-hmm. understanding is the key how to truly approach the recovery but that's only that's only 10% of the battle yep the book isn't the battle reading the book is gaining the knowledge and then you, you still have 90% of the work to do unfortunately Yeah, and that 10% is important, but like you said, 90% is actually just doing it. So true. Yeah. You can hardly like it's so much harder to do that 90% without the 10%. Mhm. You need that knowledge, you need that true true knowledge of what panic is. Mm-hmm. Gives you that little, little bit of armor on you when you're going out, you know. Still mm-hmm. super important. Yeah, and to understand like what physical sensations can happen, do happen, why they happen. The biggest one for me honestly was facing DPDR i think that was the hardest part of it was because that was my most terrifying symptom was that feeling of irreality and you know completely and you know not to say i mean it's still i mean it's still not pleasant right it's still scary but it wasn't until i started saying you know what i feel off i'm starting to you know depersonalize that DPDR you know what i'm saying <laughs> i'm starting to feel it you know but it wasn't until i started to tell myself okay i feel it but my body will eventually bring me back to reality and i don't need to set an alarm off you know yeah. it wasn't until i started telling myself that Absolutely. but i would say that for sure that oh. is like on the top list of the biggest struggle is like the DPDR and i know it is for a lot of people but that one definitely is and to explain is really difficult if someone has not had it before because it's like wait what do you mean like you don't feel real and i'm like i don't I just i don't know how to explain it to you i don't know do you have a better explanation for somebody listening maybe that is even listening to try to understand someone that they know that struggles with it yeah like dpdr is basically another protection mechanism in the body mm-hmm. okay and when like it's like the protection the protection mechanism of panic is the point of flight but then there's an it goes the extra mile then with with DPDR so it's when we're under severe states of stress uh, this mechanism will kick in to protect us again again the body working just so well and the body will just basically you know go into the state of almost disassociation and derealization it's just because of so much stress but it's a harmless mechanism you're not on the verge of any form of mental illness or mental break it's just your brain basically saying you know it's too much stress here time to shut out for a little bit And that's all it is. That's what DPDR is. You know, there's nothing dangerous there. You know, it's it's harmless. It's not a harmless mechanism that we misinterpret as dangerous. But it is very it is very scary when we go through it. You know, especially again with that 10% of no education. Yep. Yeah, hell yeah. And I think that's the key, right? Before you have the knowledge part and you experience it, you're like literally like, "Oh, I must be losing my mind." I must be out of it. I must be dying. I must, you know, you literally go to the extreme because you don't know what it is, you know? And it's kind of funny because I I read this thing when I was like still really struggling and I was like, "What?" Like I still wasn't even able to comprehend that, right? But it was saying when you have panic disorder and you know your your body is always reacting this way, it's like if you think about it, your body is working so well doing its job so perfectly to protect you that you're just misinterpreting it and I was like my body protecting me but it's torturing me you know it was still that mindset of like wait how like that's 
you know that's not even possible right because that was still the place that i was at and it's just like yeah it is your body's way of protecting yourself so when you approach it with love and kindness and know that it's happening because like you said you're at a point of of max and you just have to recenter yourself and come back to yourself that it'll slowly fade away you know but yeah it is it is for sure you know a struggle to get to that point but something else i wanted to say also um is that you know how you said that you have to just be willing to face a panic and die i think that's a revelation that i had um maybe like a month and a half ago now was something that i had to admit to myself that i wasn't willing to admit to myself that i didn't admit to anybody else and it wasn't until I said it with my words that I felt like I was starting to face it and release myself from it. And that was, you know, I work with a life coach and she had asked me, she was like, well, what's your biggest fear when you have a panic attack, right? Like, what's the biggest one? And I was like, well, the DPDR is rough. And then, you know, everything else is rough. And I was like, but I feel like ultimately the biggest fear is the loss of reality, the feeling like you're going to collapse, feeling like you're, like you're going to faint. And she was like, but why is that the biggest fear? And I was like, well, that's actually the biggest fear because I have a fear of death, right? I have an extreme fear of it. And I feel like every time I, I panic and I get anxious and have an attack, that that's what's going to happen, right? That's what it feels like. Truthfully, it really I'm feels like sure. that. Yeah, exactly. It really felt like that. And, I, and then as we were saying that, she was like, okay, but why are you fearing that? Like specifically, why is that your fear? Is it because you don't know or what? what is the fear? And then I remember just thinking to myself, I fear it because it's already happened. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I've already died. And then she was like, well, why do you say that? And I was like, because I've been living housebound for almost two years. I don't spend time with my family. I don't see my friends. I've lived my life to the point to where now I'm in a bubble of my own house. And I'm terrified to even go a few minutes away from my house. So I've already died. And that was something that I wasn't willing to admit to myself because that's not me. You know, the Yasmin that I know for myself and for other people is Yasmin that goes out and lives life, you know, and I, and I get emotional saying because it's true. You know, I used to be in love with looking at a leaf on a tree, you know, and now, <laughs> you know, I was struggling to even walk out my door. And I just told her, I was like, you know what, I've already died. And she just tells me, she's like, so if you've already died, what other option do you have but to live? important point breaking point is almost like the point you got to get to to say enough's enough mm -hmm. time to recover yeah. and ain't no gonna stop me mm -hmm. yeah be like i already died let's go for it <laughs> i have no other choice it's time to live yeah. that's why i'm not giving up because every single walk that i take and for anyone listening every single walk that you take every single run that you take if you're running too is going to get you closer but you can't give up you know and i know i will too anyone listening will you can't give up on yourself, you know, so. You know, it's such a, a spiritual journey. Like, it's crazy. The amount of emotions you go through it. Depression, happiness, like everything is like, oh, I had a great day, I had a bad day, I had a good day, I had a bad day. I'm going to die now, tomorrow. Just fucking relentless. But it's, yeah, again, it was, it was so great chanting. Like, it was so, I, you know what I always find so crazy? How similar it all is. Yeah, it is. It really is. Literally. People shouldn't feel alone. Mm -hmm. We all have those maddening thoughts, the DPDR, like we think we're going to go nuts. Not going to happen. Never will. 
And I think that there's a lot of comfort to find in that for people who are going to watch this and are struggling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And, and, you know, something that I had recognized when I was when I had found your account and when I was like really struggling was that I realized I was like everything he's saying, all the intrusive thoughts, all of the fears is literally as if he's just reading from my brain. And it made me realize, I was like, wait, but other people really do feel this way, you know, because it was word for word. Literally, you were saying he was like, what if I clap? What if? And I was like, hey, I was just thinking that yesterday, <laughs> you know, it's literally almost word by word sometimes, you know, yeah. and we have to almost remind ourselves and tell ourselves, yes, some other people also struggle with this and word for word are struggling with exactly what I'm going through and they're doing it and I can do it, too, because it's true not just are they doing it they're going on to live fully normal lives exactly well, they never, they're not going on to say they've never they'll never have a panic attack i've had a, I've had a couple of panic attacks in the record mm -hmm. in paris yeah. my worst ever nightmare was imagine panicking in a different country still the same shit. it's the same mm -hmm. yeah not, you still have tons of anxiety i mean i'm coming home and it's so stressful because my uncle is, is really sick you mm -hmm. think i don't feel anxiety right now Mm -hmm. I've had days where like I'm so worried about my uncle. Mm -hmm. Normal, normality. You know, it's getting recovered isn't about like never feeling anxious again or never having exactly. a panic attack. Guys, you know, if any of you guys want to follow my account, it's uh, called From Panic to Paris. I have lots of videos on there about my recovery that I've been, my page is almost a year and a half old now. And there's so much helpful uh, information there. Very vulnerable step-by-step -step recovery stuff. And yeah, if you, if you guys, feel like you want to follow me go ahead from panic to Paris. perfect thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your truth and i know we're going to help so many other people that are on their healing journey from agoraphobia panic disorder and for anyone listening you're gonna get there too we just can't give up so thank you thank you so much and we'll definitely chat soon <laughs> Dear soul friend, thank you so much for listening to this episode with Glenn. I hope that our stories can give you insight and hope no matter what you are going through right now. I also just wanted to give a little bit of a side note at the end of this that Glenn through this whole conversation was talking about how running has been really like instrumental on his healing and recovery journey from agoraphobia and panic disorder. And at the moment of our conversation, I had been going on walks every single day for um, probably like two months at that point and after our conversation that same day I went out for my first run and then the next day and then the next day and then the next day and now I'm here sitting and it has been four weeks and I have ran almost every single day and let me tell you that I know that I am healing not just because of the running but because of the absolute determination that I have I know I'm going to get through this and I know that if you are listening to this it is because you are also going to get through it agoraphobia and panic disorder sometimes can be something that is not mainstream that a lot of people don't know about so I just want you to know to hang in there we are out here we are here people who have been living with this for years are here and we are overcoming we are healing so I hope if you are also going through this that you know that you are not alone agoraphobia and panic disorder is not going to rule our lives any longer so if you can just start somewhere start going to the mailbox to the corner a little bit more every single time and just know that there is support and help out there so please reach out to glenn if you would like some kind of different coaching and stick around on my page and my podcast and all these things that i have that are coming soon that is going to be tailored more towards people that are also struggling with agoraphobia and panic disorder just like i am 
because I am building a healing community where we are all going to support each other on this healing journey. So again, till next time, soul friend, thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much, Glenn, if you are listening to this for also inspiring me and giving me a different insight and just giving me that extra push that I needed to really continue to believe in myself unconditionally and I'm going to keep running and I'm looking forward to my run tomorrow at 7 30 <laughs> so we'll see how that goes anyways thank you all so much for being here until next time <laughs>